chapters forty six and forty seven of history of rome from the earliest times down to four seventy six a d by robert f pennell this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter forty six houses customs institutions etc the private houses of the romans were poor affairs until after the conquest of the east when money began to pour into the city many houses of immense size were then erected adorned with columns paintings statues and costly works of art some of these houses are said to have cost as much as two million dollars the principal parts of a roman house were the vestibulum ostium atrium ally tablinum fosses and peristylium the vestibulum was a court surrounded by the house on three sides and open on the fourth to the street the ostium corresponded in general to our front hall from it a door opened into the atrium which was a large room with an opening in the center of its roof through which the rain-water was carried into a cistern placed in the floor under the opening to the right and left of the atrium were side rooms called the ally and the tablinum was a balcony attached to it the passages from the atrium to the interior of the house were called fosses the peristylium towards which these passages ran was an open court surrounded by columns decorated with flowers and shrubs it was somewhat larger than the atrium the floors were covered with stone marble or mosaics the walls were lined with marble slabs or frescoed while the ceilings were either bare exposing the beams or in the finer houses covered with ivory gold and frescoing the main rooms were lighted from above the side rooms received their light from these and not through windows looking into the street the windows of rooms in upper stories were not supplied with glass until the time of the empire they were merely openings in the wall covered with lattice work to heat a room portable stoves were generally used in which charcoal was burned there were no chimneys and the smoke passed out through the windows or the openings in the roofs the rooms of the wealthy were furnished with great splendor the walls were frescoed with scenes from greek mythology landscapes etc in the vestibules were fine sculptures costly marble walls and doors ornamented with gold silver and rare shells there were expensive rugs from the east and in fact everything that could be obtained likely to add to the attractiveness of the room candles were used in early times but later the wealthy used lamps which were made of terracotta or bronze they were mostly oval flat on the top often with figures in relief in them were one or more round holes to admit the wick they either rested on tables 
or were suspended by chains from the ceiling. Meals. The meals were the gentaculum, prandium, and cana. The first was our breakfast, though served at an early hour, sometimes as early as four o'clock. It consisted of bread, cheese, and dried fruits. The prandium was a lunch served about noon. The cana, or dinner, served between three and sunset, was usually of three courses. The first course consisted of stimulants, eggs, or lettuce and olives. The second, which was the main course, consisted of meats, fowl, or fish, with condiments. The third course was made up of fruits, nuts, sweetmeats, and cakes. At elaborate dinners, the guests assembled, each with his napkin and full dress of bright colors. The shoes were removed so as not to soil the couches. These couches usually were adapted for three guests, who reclined, resting the head on the left hand, with the elbow supported by pillows. The Romans took the food with their fingers. Dinner was served in a room called the Triclinium. In Nero's Golden House, the dining room was constructed like a theater, with shifting scenes to change with every course. Dress, Bathing The Roman men usually wore two garments, the tunica, and toga. The former was a short, woolen undergarment with short sleeves. To have a long tunic with long sleeves was considered a mark of effeminacy. The tunic was girded round the waist with a belt. The toga was peculiarly a Roman garment, and none but citizens were allowed to wear it. It was also the garment of peace in distinction from the sagum, which was worn by soldiers. The toga was of white wool, and was nearly semicircular, but being a cumbrous garment, it became customary in later times to wear it only on state occasions. The poor wore only the tunic. Others wore, in place of the toga, the lacerna, which was an open cloak, fastened to the right shoulder by a buckle. Boys, until about sixteen, wore a toga with a purple hem. The women wore a tunic, stola, and pula. The stola was a loose garment, gathered in and girdled at the waist with a deep flounce extending to the feet. The pula was a sort of shawl to throw over the whole figure and to be worn out of doors. The ladies indulged their fancy for ornaments as freely as their purses would allow. Footgear was mostly of two kinds, the calceus and the soleil. The former was much like our shoe and was worn in the street. The latter were sandals, strapped to the bare foot and worn in the house. The poor used wooden shoes. Bathing was popular among the wealthy. Fine buildings were erected, with elegant decorations, and all conveniences for cold, warm, hot, and vapor baths. 
these bath-houses were very numerous and were places of popular resort attached to many of them were rooms for exercise with seats for spectators the usual time for bathing was just before dinner upon leaving the bath it was customary to anoint the body with oil festivals games etc the saturnalia was the festival of saturn to whom the inhabitants of latium attributed the introduction of agriculture and the arts of civilized life it was celebrated near the end of december corresponding to our christmas holidays and under the empire lasted seven days during its continuance no public business was transacted the law courts were closed the schools had a holiday and slaves were relieved from all ordinary toil all classes devoted themselves to pleasure and presents were interchanged among friends the lupercalia a festival in honor of lupercus the god of fertility was celebrated on the fifteenth of february it was one of the most ancient festivals and was held in the lupercal where romulus and remus were said to have been nursed by the she-wolf lupa the priests of lupercus were called luperci they formed a collegium but their tenure of office is not known on the day of the festival these priests met at the lupercal offered sacrifice of goats and took a meal with plenty of wine they then cut up the skins of the goats which they had sacrificed with some of these they covered parts of their bodies and with others they made thongs and holding them in their hands ran through the streets of rome striking with them all whom they met especially women as it was believed this would render them fruitful the quirinalia was celebrated on the seventeenth of february when quirinus romulus was said to have been carried up to heaven gladiators were men who fought with swords in the amphitheatre and other places for the amusement of the people these shows were first exhibited at rome in two sixty four b c and were confined to public funerals but afterwards gladiators were to be seen at the funerals of most men of rank under the empire the passion for this kind of amusement increased to such an extent that gladiators were kept and trained in schools ludi and their trainers were called lanistae the person who gave an exhibition was called an editor he published edere some time before the show a list of the combatants in the show the fights began with wooden swords but at the sound of the trumpet these were exchanged for steel weapons when a combatant was wounded if the spectators wished him spared they held their thumbs down but turned them up if they wanted him killed gladiators who had served a long time were often discharged and presented with a wooden sword rudis hence they were called rudiarii the amphitheatre theatre and circus 
the amphitheatre was a place for the exhibition of gladiatorial shows combats of wild beasts and naval engagements its shape was that of an ellipse surrounded by seats for the spectators the word amphitheatre was first applied to a wooden building erected by caesar augustus built one of stone in the campus martius but the most celebrated amphitheatre was built by vespasian and titus and dedicated in eighty a d it is still standing though partly in ruins covers nearly six acres and could seat ninety thousand people the name given to it today is the Colosseum. the open space in the center was called the arena and was surrounded by a wall about fifteen feet high to protect the spectators from the wild beasts before the time of caesar the shows were held in the forum and in the circus the theatre was never as popular with the romans as with the greeks the plays of plautus and terence were acted on temporary wooden stages the first stone theatre was built by pompey in fifty five b c near the campus martius it was a fine building with a seating capacity of forty thousand the seats were arranged in a semicircle as at present the orchestra being reserved for the senators and other distinguished persons then came fourteen rows of seats for the equites and behind these sat the ordinary crowd the circus maximus between the palatine and aventine hills was built for chariot races boxing and gymnastic contests it was an immense structure with galleries three stories high and a canal called Euripus, and it accommodated one hundred thousand spectators in the center caesar erected an obelisk one hundred and thirty-two feet high brought from egypt the seats were arranged as in the theatre six kinds of games were celebrated first chariot racing second a sham fight between young men on horseback third a sham fight between infantry and cavalry fourth athletic sports of all kinds fifth fights with wild beasts such as lions boars etc sixth sea fights water was let into the canal to float ships the combatants were captives or criminals condemned to death who fought until one party was killed unless saved by the kindness of the emperor a triumphal procession the imperator when he returned from a successful campaign was sometimes allowed to enjoy a triumphal procession provided he had been dictator consul or praetor no one desiring a triumph ever entered the city until the senate decided whether or not he deserved one when a favorable decision was reached the temples were all thrown open garlands of flowers decorated every shrine and image and incense smoked on every altar 
the imperator ascended the triumphal car and entered a city gate where he was met by the whole body of the senate headed by the magistrates the procession then proceeded in the following order one the senate headed by the magistrates two a troop of trumpeters three carts laden with spoils often very costly and numerous four a body of flute players five white bulls and oxen for sacrifice six elephants and rare animals from the conquered countries seven the arms and insignia of the leaders of the conquered enemy eight the leaders themselves with their relatives and other captives nine the lictors of the imperator in single file their fasces wreathed with laurel ten the imperator himself in a circular chariot drawn by four horses he was attired in a gold embroidered robe and a flowered tunic he held a laurel bough in his right hand a sceptre in his left and his brow was encircled with a laurel wreath eleven the grown-up sons and officers of the imperator twelve the whole body of infantry with spears adorned with laurel the ovation was a sort of smaller triumph the commander entered the city on foot or in later times on horseback he was clothed in a purple bordered robe his head was crowned with laurel and a sheep ovis was sacrificed instead of a bull as in the case of a triumph pomerium the pomerium was the sacred enclosure of the city inside of which no person holding the imperium was allowed to enter it did not always run parallel to the city walls names every man in rome had three names the given name prenomen as lucius marcus gaius the name of the gens nomen as cornelius tullius julius the name of the family cognomen as scipio cicero caesar to these names was sometimes added another the agnomen given for some exploit or to show that the person was adopted from some other gens thus scipio the elder was called africanus and all his descendants had the right to the name africanus the younger was adopted from the cornelian gens into the aemilian gens therefore he added to his other names aemilianus the women were called only by the name of their gens the daughter of scipio was called for example cornelia and to distinguish her from others of the cornelian gens she was called cornelia daughter of scipio if there were more than one daughter to the name of the eldest was added prima first to that of the next secunda second etc marriage intermarriage canubium 
between patricians and plebeians was forbidden previous to 445, and after that the offspring of such marriages took the rank of the father. After the parties had agreed to marry, and the consent of the parents or persons in authority was given, the marriage contract was drawn up and signed by both parties. The wedding day was then fixed upon. This could not fall upon the calends, nones, or ides of any month, or upon any day in May or February. The bride was dressed in a long white robe with a bridal veil and shoes of a bright yellow color. She was conducted in the evening to her future husband's home by three boys, one of whom carried before her a torch, the other two supporting her by the arm. They were accompanied by friends of both parties. The groom received the bride at the door, which she entered with distaff and spindle in hand. The keys of the house were then delivered to her. The day ended with a feast given by the husband, after which the bride was conducted to the bridal couch in the atrium, which was adorned with flowers. On the following day, another feast was given by the husband, and the wife performed certain religious rites. The position of the Roman woman after marriage was very different from that of the Greek. She presided over the whole household, educated her children, watched over and preserved the honor of the house, and shared the honors and respect shown to her husband. Funerals When a Roman was at the point of death, his nearest relative, present, endeavored to catch the last breath with his mouth. The ring was removed from the dying person's hand, and as soon as he was dead, his eyes and mouth were closed by the nearest relative, who called upon the deceased by name, exclaiming, Farewell. The body was then washed, and anointed with oil and perfumes, by slaves or undertakers. A small coin was placed in the mouth of the body, to pay the ferryman, Charon, in Hades, and the body was laid out on a couch in the vestibulum, with its feet toward the door. In early times, all funerals were held at night, but in later times only the poor followed this custom, mainly because they could not afford display. The funeral, held the ninth day after the death, was headed by musicians playing mournful strains, and mourning women hired to lament and sing the funeral song. These were sometimes followed by players and buffoons, one of whom represented the character of the deceased, and imitated his words and actions. Then came the slaves whom the deceased had liberated, each wearing the cap of liberty. Before the body were carried the images of the dead and of his ancestors, and also the crown and military rewards which he had gained. The couch on which the body was carried was sometimes made of ivory and covered with gold and purple. Following it were the relatives in mourning, 
often uttering loud lamentations, the women beating their breasts and tearing their hair. The procession of the most illustrious dead passed through the forum and stopped before the rostra, where a funeral oration was delivered. From here the body was carried to its place of burial, which must be outside the city. Bodies were sometimes cremated, and in the later times of the Republic this became quite common. Education In early times the education of the Romans was confined to reading, writing, and arithmetic, but as they came in contact with the Greeks, a taste for higher education was acquired. Greek slaves, pedagogi, were employed in the wealthy families to watch over the children and to teach them to converse in Greek. A full course of instruction included the elementary branches mentioned above and a careful study of the best Greek and Latin writers besides a course in philosophy and rhetoric under some well-known professor abroad, usually at Athens or Rhodes. Books. Letter Writing. The most common material on which books were written was the thin rind of the Egyptian papyrus tree. Besides the papyrus, parchment was often used. The paper or parchment was joined together so as to form one sheet, and was rolled on a staff, whence the name volume, from volvere to roll. Letter writing was very common among the educated. Letters were usually written with the stylus, an iron instrument like a pencil in size and shape, on thin slips of wood or ivory, covered with wax, and folded together with the writing on the inside. The slips were tied together by a string, and the knot was sealed with wax and stamped with a signet ring. Letters were also written on parchment with ink. Special messengers were employed to carry letters, as there was no regular mail service. Roman letters differed from ours chiefly in the opening and close. The writer always began by sending greeting to the person addressed, and closed with a simple farewell, without any signature. Thus, Cicero, S.D. Pompeo, S.D. equals sends greeting, would be the usual opening of a letter from Cicero to Pompey. End of chapter 46 Chapter 47 Public Buildings, Squares, etc. Rome was built on seven hills, the Palatine, the Aventine, the Capitoline, the Esquiline, the largest, the Quirinal, the Viminal, and the Calian. There were various public squares. Forum equals square or park. Some were places of resort for public business, and most were adorned with porticos. 
the most celebrated square was the Forum Romanum, or simply the Forum. There were also the Forum Caesaris and Forum Trajani. Some served as markets, as Forum Boarium, the cattle market, Forum Suarium, the hog market, etc. Temples were numerous. The Pantheon, Temple of All the Gods, built by Agrippa and restored by Hadrian, was dedicated to Jupiter. It was situated outside of the city, in the Campus Martius, and is now used as a Christian church. The Temple of Apollo Palatinus, built by Augustus, was on the Palatine Hill. It contained a library, which was founded by Augustus. The Temple of Aesculapius was on an island in the Tiber. That of Concordia, on the slope of the Capitoline Hill, was dedicated in 377 B.C. and restored by Tiberius. The Temple of Janus was an arched passage east of the Forum, the gates of which were open during war. Up to the time of Ovid, the gates had been closed but three times, once in Numa's reign, again at the close of the Battle of Actium. Janus was one of the oldest Latin divinities, and was represented with a face in front and another on the back of his head. From him is named the month of January. There were several temples of Jupiter, the most famous of which was that of Jupiter Optimus, Maximus, or Capitolinus, built during the dynasty of the Tarquins, and splendidly adorned. See Chapter 5. There were also numerous temples of Juno, of Mars, and of other deities. The Colosseum was the largest building in Rome. There were three theaters, that of Pompey, of Marcellus, and of Balbus, and several circuses, the most famous of which was the Circus Maximus. The Basilicae were halls of justice, courthouses. The most important was the Basilica Julia, begun by Caesar, and finished by Augustus, which was situated on the south side of the Forum, and the foundations of which can still be seen. The Curia, or Senate House, was in the Forum. Each of the thirty Curiae had a place of meeting called also a Curia, where were discussed public questions pertaining to politics, finance, or religion. The public baths were numerous. There were Thermae, hot baths, of Nero, of Titus, of Trajan, of Caracalla, and of others, ruins of which still exist. Pure water was brought into the city from the surrounding hills by fourteen different aqueducts, all of which were well built, and three of which are still in use. The first aqueduct, Aqua Appia, was built about 313 B.C. by Appius Claudius. Sewers intersected Rome in all directions, and some were of immense size. The Cloaca Maxima, built by Tarquin, was the largest, and is still in use. 
its innermost arch has a diameter of fourteen feet. There are said to have been twenty triumphal arches, of which five now remain. One, the Arch of Drusus, on the Appian Way, erected in honor of Claudius Drusus. Two, the Arch of Titus, at the foot of the Palatine Hill, built by Titus to commemorate his conquest of Judea. The bas-reliefs on this arch represent the spoils taken from the temple at Jerusalem, carried in triumphal procession. 3. The Arch of Septimius Severus, built by the Senate in 207 A.D., at the end of the Via Sacra, in honor of the emperor and his two sons, for their conquest of the Parthians and Arabians. 4. The Arch of Gallienus. 5. The Arch of Constantine. There were two famous mausolea, that of Augustus, now in ruins, and that of Hadrian, which, stripped of its ornaments, is now the castle of San Angelo. The columns, commemorating persons or events, were numerous. The most remarkable of these were erected for naval victories, and called Columnae Rostrate, the one of Duilius in honor of the victory at Mile, 261 B.C. still stands. It has three ship beaks attached to each side. Columns were built in honor of several emperors. That of Trajan is perhaps best known. The Columna Miliaria was a milestone set up by Augustus in the Forum, from which all distances on the different public roads were measured. It was called Miliarium Aureum, or the Golden Milestone. End of chapter 47 End of section 19